One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Colts at Titans. Kickoff Sunday, September 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over under 48. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Tennessee has played from behind for all of regulation in both games so far this season. Weakness versus weakness. Colts offense versus Titans defense. Indianapolis played much better in week two than they did in week one, but relied on some fluky plays to keep it close later in the game. Both teams are likely to have similar approaches to this game, with one of them much more likely to be successful. How Indianapolis will try to win. Carson Wentz sprained both of his ankles late in the game against the Rams. He was unable to play the last drive, and Jacob Eason finished it out with an interception. Wentz is highly questionable for this week, and even if cleared, it is hard to see him being very effective with limited mobility in both legs. If Wentz is unable to play, Eason is not a high-level talent and is a non-factor with his legs, which will further limit the ability of the Indianapolis offense to create dynamic chunk plays. The Colts are going to have a very straightforward game plan with a heavy dose of the running game behind their traditionally strong offensive line, though their line has struggled mightily through their first two games. Look for the Colts to also get creative in their use of screens, short area passing, formations, and personnel, as they will need to find ways to sustain drives. Titans' defense was very successful bottling up the running game of the Seahawks last week after giving up a lot of rushing yards to the Cardinals. The Seahawks are likely a more fair comparison for the Colts, as the Colts don't have Kyler Murray back there to hold linebackers and safeties from filling gaps. And while the Seahawks were limited on the ground, they did exploit the Titans' poorest secondary with multiple explosive downfield plays. Unfortunately for the Colts, they also do not have the talent at QB or in their receiving core to attack the back end consistently. How Tennessee will try to win. Tennessee trailed from start to finish in week one then trailed by multiple scores for the last two and a half quarters against Seattle, before tying the game with under a minute left and winning in overtime. Those game scripts are entirely opposite of how head coach Mike Vrabel wants this team to play and how they are traditionally built. This week sets up differently, and the Titans will look to impose their will and get back to their identity after being lucky to escape the first two weeks at 1-1. One one. Realistically speaking, the Jaguars and Texans are close to expansion-level teams, while the Colts are 0-2, they have the coaching, culture, and enough talent on the roster to provide the only realistic threat to the Titans for the division. The Titans are likely well aware of that and understand the opportunity they have here to deliver a big blow to their only competition. I would expect the Titans to come out energized and take it to the Colts early on both sides of the ball. While they will give a heavy load to Derrick Henry, Vrabel also has an aggressive nature to him and will likely take some shots downfield early against a Colts secondary that has shown vulnerabilities through two weeks. The Colts usually prefer to play zone coverage and are not prone to blitz, instead using their front four to get home. The Titans are facing some injuries to their offensive line, so they may have some issues creating holes to get Derrick Henry to the second level and will likely need to use a running back or tight end to help protect Ryan Tannehill on passing plays. If the line is able to give Tannehill time, he may be able to highlight his high-profile wide receivers who are as physically imposing as any wide receiver duo you will find in the league. Likeliest Game Flow the Colts are unlikely to control the tempo of this game as they simply lack the talent on offense to do so. They will simply be holding on for dear life, hoping variance and some lucky bounces give them a shot late in the game. The Colts do have a very good front seven and run defense that has stood up well to start the year. So despite the intent of the Titans to impose their will on the ground, it will likely not be that simple. 
I would expect a slow-paced game early on with some Colts punts and long Titans drives. Colts may be able to get an early score on scripted plays and do some creative things to take the Titans off guard, but are unlikely to sustain consistent drives with limitations from their QB position. This game will likely have a slow tempo to it, with the Titans gradually pulling away and becoming more aggressive if it stays close into the second half. Falcons at Giants. Kickoff Sunday, September 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 47.5. Game Overview by Hilo. How Atlanta will try and win through the air lines up fairly well with what the Giants are willing to give up through the air. Extremely wide range of potential outcomes as far as game flow is concerned. The field is likely to assume a great deal of confidence in this regard. Extremely concentrated expected offense from the Falcons. Extremely game flow dependent offense from the Giants. We can safely assume concentration from each potential game flow outcome dependent on how the game plays out. How Atlanta will try to win. First thing that we need to be clear on is we have no clue what Atlanta's identity is at this point. They have looked downright atrocious. They've allowed a silly 40 points per game against. Matt Ryan holds a ridiculously low 3.6 completed air yards per pass attempt value. Corderell Bleeping Patterson is leading the team in fantasy points scored at the running back position after a two-score game, and the thought-to-be-concentrated offense hasn't panned out up to this point. That was a lot of words to indicate the lack of certainty we have with this team right now. That said, we have a team playing at the 8th fastest situation neutral pace of play, a combined 81 pass attempts over the first two weeks, a combined 23 penalties over two weeks. Good for expected pass production, defensive penalties mean sustained drives from the opponent, while offensive penalties put the team in long down and distance to go situations. And the likely absence of what should be the third receiving option when all is said and done? Russell Gage suffered an ankle injury in week two and has yet to practice this week. There is a lot to like from a prospective fantasy production standpoint here, so let's see if we can't figure out how Atlanta will approach this game before they even can. The matchup on the ground yields a below average 4.145 net adjusted line yards metric, but the Falcons have filtered 26 of 81 total targets through the running back position, good for a hefty 32.1% positional target rate. The gross part is all of Mike Davis, Corderell Patterson, and fullback Keith Smith are playing meaningful snaps. 65-35-25 snap split rate. Out of the backfield, and it appears the team is set on continuing the Patterson running back experiment, which has gone on four years now across three different coaching staffs. Hashtag I confused. Outside of the obvious fact that this team has been playing from behind for eight quarters to start the year, there remains a lot of questions regarding the expected usage here. Atlanta's 35% situation neutral rush rate over two games is the eighth lowest to start the year, and their 3.9 average yards per rush attempt ranks 21st. We shouldn't expect a massive bump to the 23 rush attempts per game we've seen thus far, meaning expected running back production is difficult to bank on heading into a game against a defense built from the front back. As alluded to earlier, wide receiver Russell Gage, the de facto wide receiver two on this team, suffered an ankle injury in week two and has yet to practice this week, as of Thursday, likely leaving wide receiver two duties to the smattering of mediocrity in Olamide Zacchaeus, Tajay Sharp, and Christian Blake. The addition of Adoree Jackson to James Bradbury in the secondary has allowed the Giants to play more man coverage and, more importantly, blitz at a heavier rate to start the year. The Giants currently rank tied for seventh in blitz rate, which has been largely ineffective only three sacks and 18 quarterback pressures. The setup, however, 
is what matters here. We should expect elevated blitz rates from the Giants against an opponent that has shown the propensity to get the ball out quickly to its primary receiving options as they look to protect their aging quarterback. With the absence of one of those primary pass catchers, this sets up well for Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts in particular to see significant volume in man coverage against the team with 10 missed tackles already this year. The Giants have allowed an overall quarterback rating against of 100.1 thus far, and although their corners and safeties are performing at an NFL average level, their linebacker coverage grades rank second worst to start the year. All of James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, Darnay Holmes, and Jabril Peppers have allowed 7.3 yards per attempt or less in primary coverage, but the defense as a whole has allowed a whopping 75.61% completion rate against, meaning most of the damage against has been of the short area variety. Furthermore, the Giants have allowed the fifth highest drive success rate against to start the year. Again, this lines up well for how we expect Atlanta to attack through the air. How New York will try to win. Offensive coordinator Jason Garrett continues to operate a vanilla offense with an average pace of play, average situation neutral rush pass rates, and average situational play calling tendencies. What's interesting, though, is how effective this offense has looked due in large part to the dual threat ability of quarterback Daniel Jones. Not only has he shown the great scramble ability, but he is one of the most accurate deep passers over the previous two seasons. Crazy, right? But when we talk about how coaching tendencies significantly affect how a game is likeliest to play out, Jason Garrett is very much in the aggression depends on the opponent bucket, meaning he is very rarely aggressive with play calling deep into games the Giants control. The big picture from the matchup is the Giants should find success moving the ball however they choose. 2.57. That is the current adjusted line yards value from the New York offensive line. Get the laughs out now before we continue. The matchup yields a laughably low 3.67 net adjusted line yards metric because of New York's shortcomings. Saquon Barkley has target counts of 3 and 3 to start the year, likely attributable to his status of coming back from a lost season. What really stood out to me, however, was the fact that he accrued only 3 targets twice in games the Giants played primarily competitively throughout against tough opponents in the Broncos and football team. Both of those games were also played without their starting tight end, Evan Ingram who is tentatively expected back this week. Sum it all up, and we're left wanting more as far as involvement goes out of Saquon, running back opportunity counts of 13 and 16 to start the year, before we can confidently assume he is fully healthy, even in a perceived smash matchup. The passing game brings a great deal more intrigue. Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram both hold question marks as far as health goes, so it is fair to expect decreased levels of involvement from each until both can prove their health. That leaves us with a concentrated pass-catching core of Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, and Darius Slayton. Notice I listed Shepard first there. Wink emoji. Quarterback Daniel Jones has pass attempts of 37 and 32 to start the year, giving us a good idea of the expected range of outcomes as far as pass attempts go here. Shepard leads the team in targets with a total of 19 through two games and brings the highest floor to the table against a weak secondary. The viability of the other pass catchers depends largely on game flow, and or efficiency, ADOTS, Slayton 15.1, Galladay 14.3, Shepard 8.9. Likeliest game flow. From the standpoint of likeliest game flow, I would say with a great deal of confidence there doesn't exist a likeliest game flow from this one. What I mean by that is this. Since so much of the expected aggression level from the Giants depends on what their opponent is able to do on the actual scoreboard, and since we know so little about Atlanta's team identity at this point, 
we're left with an absurdly wide range of potential outcomes from this game environment, one that largely depends on Atlanta's early success from a real-world scoring perspective. Since the Falcons have looked so poor on offense to start the year, many will immediately assume this game will be controlled by the Giants, allowing New York to dictate the pace and flow. I would greatly caution against this assumption and instead look to embrace the uncertainty presented to us through this game. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Due to time constraints, the Edge audio for Chargers at Chiefs will not be available this week. Please check OneWeekSeason.com for the written version. Bengals at Steelers. Kickoff Sunday, September 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 43. Game Overview by Hilo. This game sets up as a true divisional slugfest, with two offenses that struggle to maintain drives against two defenses that have largely enjoyed success at suppressing opposing drive success rate. Both teams are dealing with injuries to key players, which should open up additional opportunities for Juju Smith-Schuster and Tyler Boyd. When the two players of most intrigue are opposing slot-wide receivers with low ADOTs, it tells you about everything you need to know about this game. How Cincinnati Will Try to Win Cincinnati's 8th highest situation neutral rush rate of 46% clearly indicates how they would like to win games this season. Even more surprising than that, considering their relatively weak offensive line, is the fact that their defense has looked hashtag good to start the year. One of the biggest deciding factors of this game is going to be the mismatch in the trenches between the Steelers' fierce pass rush and a Bengals offensive line seeding the highest adjusted sack rate in the league through two weeks. Furthermore, all three major groin injuries from last week from the Steelers, Joe Hayden, Devin Bush, and TJ Watt, returned to practice on Thursday. As previously mentioned, the Bengals would prefer to run the football heavily to control the tempo of the game and to set up the pass. That could be an issue this week against a tough interior, with the matchup yielding a low 3.66 net adjusted line yards metric on the backs of the Steelers' third-ranked value of 2.86. The running back opportunity should be there for Joe Mixon, who has snap rates of 78 and 84%, and opportunity counts of 33 and 22 to start the year. But this is not a matchup that generates a plus EV environment. The pass game could be without one of its top performers in T. Higgins this week who has yet to practice with a shoulder injury as of Thursday. Some combination of Mike Thomas and Auden Tate could step into his role should he miss, which appears likely at this point in the week. Rookie wide receiver Jamar Chase should see the most of Joe Hayden in coverage, leaving Tyler Boyd to the coverage of James Pierre and Cameron Sutton, both of whom have been absolutely torched to start the year. Both have allowed greater than 70% of passes in their primary coverage to be completed, The sticky coverage from the Steelers' linebacker core spells trouble for the Cincinnati tight ends and Joe Mixon through the air, but they are rarely used in that role to begin with. How Pittsburgh Will Try to Win The Steelers have attempted to open up their offense under Matt Canada, but it's been largely underwhelming to this point. Pittsburgh has scored only three offensive touchdowns through two games and continues to operate primarily through a semi-power run and short passing game. The pistol offense Canada has implemented is a nice balance between keeping Ben Roethlisberger out from under center and the predictable nature of shotgun, but this team is simply finding the intermediate areas of the field clogged without the threat of deep passing. They hold the league's fifth highest situation neutral pass rate at 68%, 
and play at the sixth fastest situation neutral pace of play, but it hasn't been enough to overcome the predictable nature of their offense to this point, primarily due to Big Ben's lack of downfield chops at this point in his career. To complicate matters this week, wide receiver Deontay Johnson is expected to miss Week 3's contest with a knee injury sustained late in Week 2, leaving Juju Smith-Schuster and running back Najee Harris as the primary extensions of the run game through the air. Pittsburgh's younger but not better offensive line has been a real issue in the run game, and the matchup with an overperforming Bengals defense yields a paltry 2.955 net adjusted line yards. We shouldn't expect much success on the ground this week, leaving a larger pass game load for Juju and Najee. Najee remains an every-down running back, but that has largely not translated to elite levels of running back opportunities, let alone production. His 19 and 15 opportunity counts over the first two weeks leave much to be desired. As discussed above, a good portion of Pittsburgh's pass game serves as an extension of the run, with Juju working to a 4.1 ADOT, Deontay Johnson working to an 8.9 ADOT, and Chase Claypool's 15.9 ADOT only translating to a 42.9% catch rate. Rookie tight end Pat Fryermuth actually leads veteran Eric Ebron in snap rate over the first two weeks working to a 7.4 ADOT, 12.3 for Ebron. With Deontay expected to miss this week's contest, look for James Washington, 2020 ADOT of 12.6, to soak up a 65-80% snap share rate operating on the perimeter. The Bengals have forced the league's third shallowest yards per completion value at 8.1, seemingly weighed down by their Week 2 game against an Andy Dalton-led Bears team. The more reliable stat for this matchup is likely Cincinnati's 70.27% completion rate allowed. What all of this means is that the matchup aligns with how the Steelers will be looking to attack through the air. Likeliest Game Flow The Steelers came out and beat the Bills in Week 1, only to lose to the Raiders in Week 2. Consistency is a real problem on the offensive side of the ball for this team to start the year, and it is highly likely this divisional matchup plays to an ugly game because of it. Pittsburgh's offensive line is likely to continue to struggle until Matt Canada can figure out how to best utilize the main components of his offense, as evidenced by their 27th-ranked drive success rate. On the other side of the ball, the Bengals are one of only five teams with a worse drive success rate on offense than the Steelers to start the year, and both defenses rank in the top half of the league in drive success rate allowed, Cincinnati with a surprise rank of 6th, with Pittsburgh checking in at 14th. Bears at Browns. Kickoff Sunday, September 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 45 and a half. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Excitement in the Windy City for the debut start of Justin Fields against a talented but underachieving defense. Both defenses have shown some promising things, but also have deficiencies that may be exploited. The game flow here will likely depend on how Cleveland decides to attack early and if their personnel allows them to attack downfield. How Chicago will try to win. The Bears got off to a rough start in Week 1, being dominated in almost all phases of the game by a superior across-the-board team in the Rams. While that game was only a six-point game at halftime, the reality is that from the 439 mark in the first quarter on, the Bears never had the ball and the game within one score. They followed that up by winning an ugly game at home against the Bengals in Week 2. Both game plans were very conservative by nature and did not inspire confidence or excitement in this team being able to take part in explosive scoring games the rest of the season. Enter Week 3. Andy Dalton is out for a few weeks, thrusting Justin Fields into the starting QB role for the Bears. 
Fields has some situational work in week one and then played the last two and a half quarters against the Bengals, but this will be the first time he enters a game after taking a full week's worth of reps with the starters, where Bears head coach Matt Nagy has the opportunity to devise a game plan specifically designed around Fields' strengths. Nagy has taken a lot of heat over the years for lack of creative concepts and usage of his best players. After coming to Chicago with high expectations of doing those things due to his association with the Andy Reid coaching tree in Kansas City. While much of that criticism is justified, this is his chance to change the narrative. Fields is a dynamic weapon who can and should change the environment for everyone around him. If Nagy is unable to leverage Fields' abilities into a more exciting up-tempo offense over the next few weeks, his seat may, and should, get very hot. The Bears will likely try to win this game by controlling it. While there is a lot of excitement around Fields' debut start, the reality is that for whatever reason, the Bears staff did not think he was ready to start in week one. While it is easy for us to look at his athletic and production profile and think it should have been a clear decision, there are a lot more factors behind the scenes that NFL coaches consider when making those decisions. Usually, when a decision is made that is head-scratching to the outside, like how in the world can they think Andy Dalton is better than Justin Fields, things like film study, control of the line of scrimmage, audibles, Blitz and protection recognitions and understanding of the playbook and verbiage of the offense are the real issues. Assuming that to be the case and the Bears staff think Fields is not there yet in some or all of those areas, it is likely the Bears will simplify things and try to keep the game in front of them. They aren't fools, however, and will strategically create chances for Fields to use his legs and take shots with his all-world arm. The Browns play primarily zone coverage and have carried one of the lowest blitz rates in the league over the last two seasons. The Bears have a below-average offensive line, but without many blitzes, Fields should have time to go through his reads and take off running in this game. Tyrod Taylor and Patrick Mahomes each ran for a TD against this Browns team in the first two weeks. How Cleveland will try to win Cleveland has a top-notch offensive line, a great running back duo, an underrated QB, and a terrific scheme. Unfortunately. They are limited with playmakers on the outside due to the injury of Jarvis Landry. While their receiving core will get a boost with the expected return of Odell Beckham Jr., it is hard to project him to play a full complement of snaps or expect that he will have his normal explosive game-changing abilities just 11 months after tearing his ACL. This is unfortunate for the Browns, as the Bears' secondary is by far their weakest position group. At full strength, this would set up as a game for the Browns to use play action early and attack the weakness of the Bears through the air, and then pound them into submission with their top-notch running game once they have built a lead. It will be interesting to see if the Browns still use that approach while undermanned in their receiving core. If they do not have trust in that approach, they will lean on their strength of running the ball early and often to maintain control of the game, and hopefully find some explosive passing gains later on if OBJ is healthy or there is a coverage breakdown by the Bears. Likeliest game flow. The likeliest game flow is a disappointing one for scoring and fantasy purposes, as it entails the Browns running their strength into the strength of the Bears' defense, rather than attacking a clear weakness through the air. The Bears are unlikely to volunteer to spike this game environment either, as they will try to keep Justin Fields upright and not cause him to take any more hits than his playing style already opens itself up to. Tributaries. There are two scenarios where this game could get interesting. Both situations entail the Browns getting out to an early lead. One way to get there is through offensive efficiency, either by OBJ being close to his normal self and the Browns opening up the passing game early, or if Nick Chubb is able to find some explosive runs early in the game that flip the field and get quick scores. 
The other scenario would be if Fields looks like a rookie early and makes some costly mistakes that give the Browns short fields and easy points. In either scenario, with the Bears falling behind by multiple scores early, they should have no choice but to turn up the tempo and let Fields try to get them back in it. If they just accept defeat and stay conservative from behind despite Fields' incredible physical tools, like they did in Week 1 with Dalton, then the Windy City faithful will likely be calling for Nagy's head on Monday. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Ravens at Lions. Kickoff Sunday, September 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 50. Game Overview by Pappy. Game stat correlations make sense in this one. The Ravens offense is highly likely to succeed. TJ Hawkinson has a lot of factors in his favor. Game flow will depend on the Lions' ability to keep up. How Baltimore will try to win. The Ravens are coming off a thrilling primetime win over a Kansas City team that has been their nemesis the past few years. The Ravens staved off an 0-2 start, which is a historically difficult hole to escape on your way to a playoff berth. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, and the third-string popcorn vendor are all players that could succeed in this scheme behind this O-line. The Ravens are showing the world that the running back position doesn't matter much in today's NFL. All of Williams, Murray, and even Freeman had success running the ball against the Chiefs. Of course, all the Ravens running backs are running back twos because the true running back one is their QB, Lamar Jackson. The Jackson-led Ravens have had their way with bad defenses. This is a bad defense. The Ravens have no reason to deviate from their preferred method of attack. Pounding a combination of running backs behind Jackson and mixing in shots to Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins. Mark Andrews is yet to see more than five targets in game, and it remains to be seen if his seemingly reduced role is fluky or if we need to adjust our expectations for their star tight end going forward. Since the Ravens should be able to attack in any manner they choose, week three will offer insight into the state of Mark Andrews. Expect the Ravens to take an early lead and keep their foot on the gas long enough to put the game away before eventually running out the clock in the fourth quarter if the Lions fail to keep up on the scoreboard. How Detroit will try to win. Dan Campbell deserves credit. The Lions are biting knees. It will be hard to win with such a talent-deficient roster, but the Lions aren't just rolling over and playing dead. They played very hard against San Francisco and Green Bay, two teams that are expected to contend. San Francisco jumped on the Lions, and instead of throwing in the towel, they roared back and almost stole the game. Aaron Rodgers was sweating bullets at halftime before eventually pulling away late. If comparing rosters, the Lions had no business being in either game. Expect the Lions to come out swinging rather than sitting back and waiting for the Ravens to bring down the hammer. The Lions have thrown 93 passes versus only 43 runs, and while game flow has influenced those numbers, the Lions are also being aggressive. The Lions are a boxer that knows he's outmatched, but would rather get knocked out than lose on the judge's card. They will try and keep up with the Ravens, eventually falling flat and turning the ball over once forced into desperation mode. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a 50-point total, which falls right around the upper middle of the slate. The Ravens are expected to score most of those points with a 29-point implied team total. The most likely game flow is the Ravens jump on the talentless Lions defense and do their typical dismantling of below-average units. 
This scenario would lead to the Ravens piling up points early and remaining aggressive if the Lions can keep it close. The Lions are unlikely to lay down and will keep leaving teeth marks on Lamar Jackson's legs for as long as they can. Expect the Ravens to keep their foot on the gas through three quarters, eventually slowing the game down in the fourth with a multiple score lead. Tributaries The Lions have played with a lot of spunk this year, and there is a chance they come out fired up at home against a Ravens squad coming off an emotional win. This game does have trap potential for Baltimore. Under this theory, the Lions jump on the Ravens instead of the other way around. Think a Lions opening TD drive, followed by a turnover and another Lions TD. That type of a start to the game would force the Ravens to show all-out aggression against a defense they should dominate and would also create paths for Lions players to have strong price-considered scores coming back. The Saints at the Patriots kick off Sunday, September 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41.5. Game Overview by Pappy This game started with a low total, and it has been bet down. Alvin Kamara and Damian Harris need touchdowns to pay off their prices. There isn't much to like from either passing attack. New England's defense is in play. How New England will try to win. See, boy, we both knew it wasn't Tom all those years, didn't we, boy? Yes, we did. You always knew I could win on my own. Yes, you did. Bill Belichick mumbles to his dog after a bottle of victory scotch. It was the Jets. Tom Brady's voice whispers back. Maybe that isn't the way Belichick decided to celebrate his Week 2 victory, but it must have been how he felt. Belichick and New England breathed a collective sigh of relief as they were able to dust the possibly, I'm predicting this a little early, 0-16 Jets. Their offense looks that bad. While getting a win that was never competitive relieves the pressure slightly, losing this week would leave New England with a 1-2 record that wouldn't feel all that much better than an 0-2. There's still a lot of pressure on New England and Bill Belichick to win this game. A key question about how the Patriots want to attack this year comes down to how much trust Belichick has in Mac Jones. Week 2 offered a clue as the Patriots threw the ball 30 times compared to 24 team carries. A 56% pass rate is still considered balanced in today's NFL, but the Patriots were winning comfortably all game and slammed the ball in the fourth quarter. They skewed pass-heavy initially, which showed Belichick trusted Mac Jones enough to attack the relative weakness of a defense rather than trying to hide his rookie QB. In come the Jekyll and Hyde Saints that blasted a Packers team expected to contend before falling flat against a probably underrated Panther squad. The Saints are a creative defense that plays a lot of different looks and try to confuse the offense. The best feature of their defense last year was their 5-0 and 6-0 fronts that they commonly employed on third downs. Those fronts led to the second best third down pressure rate in the league. This year's unit isn't quite as strong as last year's, but it still boasts above average players at every level, depending on how you feel about Marshawn Lattimore. All that is to say that the Saints don't present a clear path of least resistance for the Patriots to attack. In absence of a clear defensive weakness, I expect the Patriots to default to their strength, pounding the rock behind an elite O-line. In ideal circumstances, Harris looks to be in line for another 20-touch day, but the Pats have shown trust in Mac Jones, which makes Harris's game script-dependent. If a good Jameis Winston shows up early, the Pats won't be afraid to abandon the run. How New Orleans Will Try to Win In a way, both Sean Payton and Bill Belichick are currently experiencing the same reality. 
a reality that most other NFL coaches have had to face over the past decade, a reality that it's a lot harder to win football games when you don't employ a top five QB of all time. Sean Payton is an excellent coach, and if the Saints remain a playoff team one year after losing a Hall of Fame QB, that would be quite the feat. Peyton is smart enough to know that Winston is just as likely to throw five picks as he is to throw five touchdowns, and sometimes he'll do both. I had to check the box score twice just to be sure, but the Saints ran a pitiful 39 plays in week two. Ouch. There's a chance that's the lowest play count for a team all year. Is the Panthers' defense suffocating and we just haven't figured it out yet? Or did they simply play Zach Frightened Child Wilson and Winston on a bad day? The latter is more likely, and last week's performance was just how this offense might look when Winston isn't feeling the flow. Winston is capable of being confused, on the road against a defensive head coach that is known for confusing QBs. One or two interceptions are likely in this one. Expect Peyton to try and limit his QB's ability to make mistakes for as long as he can, while hoping his defense can force Mac Jones to the air and create turnovers. Early in the game, expect Alvin Kamara to be the focal point and to remain the focal point unless game flow dictates otherwise. Sean Payton will be happy to win this game with his star running back and defense. Likeliest Game Flow This game opened with a small total of 42.5 and has since been bet down to 41.5. No one is expecting much scoring in a game that is likely to have a slow pace between two above-average defenses. The game is predicted to be close, with the Patriots as a three-point home favorite, essentially saying this is an even game on a neutral field. Expect the Patriots to come out pounding Harris as they probe for weaknesses in the run game and hope that their elite offensive line can pave the way to an easy win. If slamming Harris fails, don't expect Belichick to try and hide Jones. The Patriots have an adaptable coaching staff and appear willing to let Jones try and win them games when appropriate. The most likely outcome is a close battle that turns in favor of the victor in the fourth quarter. The Cardinals at the Jaguars kick off Sunday, September 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 52. Game Overview by Hilo The Cardinals are set up to dominate from start to finish in the likeliest game flow. The most intrigue comes from Kyler Murray, naked, and Cardinals receivers that can return value with moderate volume, Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk. Marvin Jones Jr. has asserted himself as the lead wide receiver for the Jaguars, a notable development playing on a team with the highest situation neutral pass rate in the league over the first two weeks. LaVisca Chenault Jr. Get right week? I'm intrigued. A hefty net-adjusted sack rate for the Cardinals' defense keeps them squarely in play against, again, the team with the highest situation-neutral pass rate. How Arizona will try to win The Cardinals' 58% situation-neutral pass rate in 2021 remains right in line with their 56% rate from 2020. Their pace of play also has remained sticky from a year ago, leading the league in situation-neutral pace of play at 27.14 seconds per play and coming in second in overall pace of play at 25.06. Both of those values jockey with the Cowboys for clear tops in the league over a full second faster than the next closest team. We've seen an absolutely torrid start to the season from this offense, scoring the second most points per game over the first two weeks at 36.0 a full 10.4 points per game more than they scored in 2020, 
ranked 14th in 2020. The bulk of that success has come in the form of downfield passing. While quarterback Kyler Murray holds a pedestrian 5.4 intended air yards per pass attempt value, he has attempted the third most passes of 20-plus yards and tied for the most of 30-plus yards downfield to start the year, all on just the 18th most pass attempts. So while the offense appears to operate via the same horizontally spread principles, the addition of rookie wide receiver Rondale Moore and strong performances from Christian Kirk have this offense operating in a highly efficient manner. What this team really needs to improve upon is second-half production, which was also an issue last season and should be attributed to coaching and play-calling tendencies, as the Cardinals have scored 14 and 10 points in the second half of their two games to start the year, compared to 24 points in the first half of each game. The matchup with the Jaguars yields a moderate 4.26 net-adjusted line yards metric, but the Cardinals really operate with three extensions of the run game a straight-ahead power run game through Chase Edmonds and James Conner, the short passing game through DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, and the threat of Kyler Murray's legs. When you then consider the heavy spread nature of the offense, you get a run game that appears highly efficient on paper. Arizona's 4.4 average yards per rush attempts ranks 13th in the NFL to start the year behind what is, by all metrics, a poor run-blocking offensive line. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury and staff are doing far better at keeping defenses off balance to start the year, with a balanced 54% early down pass rate and moderate 73% pass rate on third down. Lead back Chase Edmonds has seen opportunity counts of 16 and 13 to start the year, with James Conner checking in at 16 and 8, with both yet to find the end zone. The big picture here is that we should continue to expect a split workload, somewhere between 60-40 to 65-35, between these two backs, while Kyler Murray continues to operate as the primary red zone threat on the ground, a rushing score in consecutive weeks to start the season. DeAndre Hopkins, 8.9 ADOT from a year ago, has bumped to a 10.5 to start the season, but he is still being used primarily in a possession role as an extension of the run game. His 0.97 average air yards per snap rank in the bottom quarter of the league, and his 4.0 average yards after the catch rank in the bottom 40%, indicating that not much has changed in this regard. A.J. Green has garnered the starting perimeter wide receiver role opposite Nook to start the year, playing only 14 fewer snaps over the first two weeks. His 8.7 A dot, 3.4 average yards after the catch, 41.7% catch rate, and 0.99 average air yards per snap rank towards the bottom of the league, indicating a low upside role. The real intrigue comes in the form of the downfield and yards after the catch threats, Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore. Kirk's 17.1 ADOT is top 5% in the league, while Moore's 13.0 average yards after the catch value is the top mark in the league. Against a defense with a good deal of new faces and a complex scheme, each can do hefty damage on moderate volume here. Tight end Max Williams has 74% or more of the offensive snaps each week, but has seen only eight combined targets to start the year. How Jacksonville will try to win. The Jaguars absolutely baffled me in week one when they came out and allowed their rookie quarterback to sling it around all day in his first NFL game. They proceeded to attack in the same manner in week two, ending the week with the highest situation neutral pass rate in the league. The team currently operates at the league's sixth fastest pace of play at 26.1 seconds per play and holds the league's 29th ranked drive success rate on the backs of an abysmal 50% completion rate from rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence. The matchup on the ground yields a surprisingly high 4.625 net adjusted line yards metric, 
but the Jags have run the ball a league low 16.0 times per game and execute a gross for fantasy 65-35 split in opportunities between James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. Really, nothing to see here. Things get a little interesting when we get to the Jaguars' passing game as Trevor Lawrence has thrown the six most passes over the first two weeks. When we factor in the likely fast pace of this game with the high likelihood of Jacksonville playing from behind, we are left with a clear path to upwards of 40 to 50 pass attempts for Lawrence here. Now, consider the heavy 11 personnel rates, the fact that their starting tight end is on the injured reserve, and they've only fed 13 of 84 combined targets to the running back position. And we're left with an interesting case to be made for one or more of Marvin Jones Jr., LaVisca Chenault Jr., or DJ Shark Jr. to see double-digit targets against a burnable secondary. Likeliest Game Flow We've seen the Cardinals start games fast this season, and we should expect them to do just that against an inferior opponent on both sides of the ball. A year after surrendering 30.8 points per game, the Jaguars have allowed 30.0 points per game to open the 2021 season, seeding a 70.15% completion rate and a 295.5 passing yards per game along the way. Basically, the Cardinals should have no problem moving the ball against a defense, allowing the 13th most yards per drive and points per drive in the NFL. The Jaguars are also one of the only two teams yet to generate a turnover on defense. When we get to the Jaguars' offensive side of the ball, it's hard to envision this team being able to take advantage of a weakened secondary. Arizona's top-rated pass rush should cause numerous disruptive plays against an offense with the league's highest situation-neutral pass rate, creating the opportunity for turnovers and short fields. In all, this game should be dominated by the Cardinals from start to finish. Although it doesn't warrant a full tributary breakdown, there is the chance for this game to play to a back-and-forth, shootout-type contest should the Jaguars finally click on offense, due primarily to their heavy pass rates and lack of cohesion to this point, paired with the lightning-quick combined pace of play from both teams, first and sixth overall. Should that transpire, all skilled players gain increased intrigue. Washington at the Bills kick off Sunday, September 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 45.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 Due to matchup and then game environment, Buffalo has not been the dynamic, pass-happy team we expected to see this season through the first two weeks. Washington is coming off a big divisional win and 10 days of rest. The game environment here will likely depend on the play calling and efficiency of the Buffalo offense. Washington has several dynamic playmakers, but will face a tough test against a Buffalo defense that is playing at a very high level. How Washington will try to win Taylor Heineke has looked very good, especially relative to expectations, since taking over for Ryan Fitzpatrick in Week 1. Heineke also had a stretch at the end of the 2020 season where he was the Washington starter and fared admirably against very good competition, so it is likely that the competence he has shown this year is real and not just a small sample size mirage. Washington won a wild Thursday night game in Week 2 against a mediocre Giants team in a game that went back and forth at the end with both teams trying to find a way to lose and Washington coming out with the victory. This matchup on the road will present by far their toughest test of the year.
Washington is likely to try to control the game and feed Antonio Gibson the ball at a high rate while also getting the ball out of Heineke's hands quickly. Buffalo is a very difficult place to play, and their defense has been great this season, surrendering only 16 offensive points combined in their first two games of the season. Washington has a much better offensive line and running game than either of the Bills' first two opponents, so it will be interesting to see if they can impose their will here and pound the ball to give Heineke easier situations to throw from. Buffalo has a shutdown corner in Tredavious White, along with great scheme and personnel in their secondary and pass rush. Washington will need to get creative with their primary pass catcher, Terry McLaurin, to create opportunities for him to make plays. The Bills also have very athletic linebackers who cover ground well sideline to sideline and should be able to make plays on short passes to prevent short gains from turning into long ones. Buffalo head coach Sean McDermott is one of the brighter defensive minds in the game and should have some creative looks to throw at Heineke, as the Bills usually play zone but can also mix it up depending on their opponent. I expect Washington to use their backs heavily early in this game and also to dial up some looks for tight end Logan Thomas. How Buffalo Will Try to Win Buffalo has not looked like the offensive team we saw tear through the AFC last year behind a high-volume and high-efficiency passing attack. The Bills threw often, but had little success in Week 1 as the Steelers had a great game plan and held the Bills to 16 points. In Week 2, the Dolphins laid a complete egg and lost their starting quarterback early in the game, which led to the Bills taking their foot off the gas and never needing to throw with their usual volume. This week will be an interesting test as Washington presents Buffalo with the easiest matchup in the secondary they have seen all year, although it wouldn't be fair to call them an easy opponent. I expect Buffalo to get back to the team we saw in 2020 this week. Washington has a very good defensive line but gave up very good game to Daniel Jones in Week 2 and allowed Justin Herbert to throw for 337 yards in Week 1. Washington's defense is very good against the run and the matchup dictates more success through the air, so a spread attack with pass-heavy tendencies is likely in the cards for Buffalo here. Buffalo has shown the awareness in the past to abandon the run almost completely in matchups like this where there is a clear path of least resistance. After laying an egg at home in Week 1, it is safe to expect Buffalo to be very aggressive from the outset in this return home to the hashtag Bills Mafia. Likeliest Game Flow Buffalo will be aggressive from the outset on both sides of the ball. As outlined earlier, they will find more success through the air and surely want to get their high-octane offense looking like itself again. On the other side of the ball, Washington will attempt to slow things down, but the Bills will likely give extra attention up front and bring pressure on Heineke to shrink the field and force him to beat them downfield. The likeliest game flow is that the Bills take control early, and it is a matter of whether they get field goals or touchdowns in the first half that will decide if this game can flip the switch. If the Bills are unable to convert drives into touchdowns, we are likely in store for a similar game to what each of these teams saw in Week 1, a 23-16 loss to the Steelers for Buffalo, and a 20-16 loss to the Chargers for Washington. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Jets at the Broncos kick off Sunday, September 26th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 these two teams have had completely different starts to their seasons through two weeks. Denver 
has an incredible record at home in September, historically. Difficult to see a game flow situation where the pace increases dramatically for either side. Both teams are in very similar situations this week as they were in for week two. How New York will try to win. New York had a ton of momentum and positive energy entering this season with a new staff and some shiny new toys on offense headlined by number two pick Zach Wilson. It took two weeks for the honeymoon to end, with home fans booing Wilson off the field in a week two drubbing at the hands of the Patriots. The Jets have already lost their best offensive lineman in Mekhi Becton and now face a terrorizing Broncos pass rush. The Broncos gave Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars all sorts of fits last week, holding their offense scoreless after an opening drive touchdown. Jacksonville was at home while the Jets are on the road this week and are arguably worse at every position offensively than the Jaguars, so they are in for a long day. The Broncos also have a historically terrific record at home in the month of September as teams struggle with the high altitude and difficult environment. This section is supposed to be about how New York will try to win, but it would probably be more aptly titled How New York Will Try to Survive, based on everything just discussed. The Jets will try to use their running scheme and short passes early in the game to protect Zach Wilson. Head coach Robert Soleil spoke after week two about the need for Zach Wilson to learn that boring plays are okay, a reference to Wilson's aggressive tendencies that led to four Patriots interceptions. That tells me that the staff is likely to rein him in through their play calling and kind of force the issue with Wilson by not giving him as many opportunities to rip it downfield. This is unlikely to be effective in this matchup, but slowing it down and not turning it over is the only chance the Jets have to shorten this game and hope for some fluky bounces to give them a chance. How Denver will try to win Teddy Bridgewater has looked terrific through two weeks and has playmakers at all three position groups that he is able to distribute the ball to. Similar to week two against Jacksonville, the Broncos will be able to move the ball in basically any manner they choose and do not need to be overly aggressive or take chances in order to have success. The Broncos will use a balanced attack and utilize their backs in the run and pass game. The Jets' secondary and pass rush is not good either, so Teddy should be able to find open receivers. Likeliest Game Flow The most likely way this game plays out is with the Broncos taking control of this game early. That's it. The Dolphins at the Raiders kick off Sunday, September 26th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 44. Game Overview by Hilo Likely to see a pass-heavy approach from both teams here with two of the bottom run-blocking offensive lines in the league pitted against each other. Look for Miami to work primarily short-intermediate over the middle of the field through the air, while Las Vegas holds the personnel to stretch Miami vertically. Expect a lot of offensive plays to be run from scrimmage here, with questionable drive success rate from each team. Likely to be an ugly game with the possibility for one or two usable pieces from volume alone. How Miami will try to win. Miami has played at the league's 25th-ranked situation-neutral pace of play and 26th overall, with the 9th-highest situation-neutral pass rate and 28th-ranked adjusted line yards value. It's likely not a case of them not wanting to run the football when considering their above-average defense. It's simply that they can't. They built this team all off-season around Tua Tagovailoa and the passing game, 
and now Tua is out with fractured ribs. Jacoby Brissett will now be charged with managing a game plan put together over the course of a week against an aggressive opponent that can put up points against the best of them. Running back Miles Gaskin has maintained his lead back role over the first two weeks, garnering 54% and 61% snap rates and seeing running back opportunity totals of 14 and 10, respectively. Behind Gaskin, expect Salvan Ahmed, 6 and 9 opportunities, and Malcolm Brown, 5 and 5 opportunities, all rushes, to mix in with low upside roles. The matchup yields a net adjusted line yards metric of 3.375, and the Raiders have overperformed in that area to start the year. There's not much to love here outside the fact that Gaskin has seen five targets in each game thus far and now has a quarterback with the shallowest air yards per attempt value in the league. Small sample. The Dolphins are expecting wide receiver Will Fuller to make his season and team debut in week three. Fuller is of great significance to the overall function of this offense, as his elite speed opposite Devontae Parker should serve to open up the underneath areas of the field for tight end Mike Gusecki and rookie slot man Jalen Waddle. Fuller's individual fantasy prospectus takes a large hit with Brissett at quarterback. Jalen Waddle's 5.6 ADOT highlights the short area nature of his routes so far, which lines up well with Brissett's skill set, more of a timing quarterback as opposed to a slinger. Devontae Parker, 11.9 ADOT, Will Fuller, and Mike Gusecki, 11.1 ADOT with a ridiculously low 2.0 yak, are unlikely to mesh well with what Brissett can provide. How Las Vegas Will Try to Win John Gruden's West Coast spread offense would like to incorporate heavy rush rates early in the game in an attempt to wear down and open up the opposing defense. Unfortunately, running back Josh Jacobs appears set to miss his second game in a row with an ankle injury. With Jacobs likely out, expect heavy pass rates as evidenced by Las Vegas Week 2 game against the Steelers, where they held a hefty 68% situation-neutral pass rate. Derek Carr has thrown the ball a whopping 93 times over the first two games, and we should expect more of the same here. The emergence of second-year wide receivers Henry Ruggs III, 15.8 ADOT, and Brian Edwards, 14.9 ADOT, has allowed Gruden and Carr to attack all areas of the field, opening up much-needed operating room for tight end Darren Waller underneath, 9.9 ADOT. Running back Kenyon Drake saw a solid 71% snap rate in Week 2 with Jacobs out, handling 13 running back opportunities in the process. Fullback Alec Ingold was next up, as far as snap rate goes, at 26%, followed by straight-ahead runner Peyton Barber. 13 rush attempts and no targets, at 29%. I'd expect those snap rates to largely remain consistent heading into week three, with the possibility of additional rush attempts as a team against an opponent that runs a prevent zone defense best attacked on the ground. The matchup yields a net adjusted line yards metric of a paltry 3.31 yards primarily due to the Raiders' poor run blocking offensive line, dead last in the NFL in adjusted line yards metric. Regardless of what is the best way to attack Miami's defense, it is highly likely we see this offense adopt a pass-heavy approach in the absence of Josh Jacobs. Miami has allowed a below-average 63.89% completion rate thus far, with a below-average 9.5 yards allowed per completion. This defense is built to keep the game in front of them and tackle well after the catch. This sets up best for Darren Waller underneath, the cornerback duo of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones form one of the best corner duos in the league. Likeliest Game Flow 
It is likely this game plays rather ugly throughout, as each team struggles to move the football. The team likeliest to break through first is the Raiders, and the best chance for them to do so is through Darren Waller against linebacker and Nick Needham's coverage, all of whom are ill-equipped to handle the athletic tight end. This should ensure continued aerial aggression from Miami and lead to additional offensive plays run from scrimmage for both teams, which leaves some level of intrigue from each side. The Seahawks at the Vikings kick off Sunday, September 26th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 55. Due to time constraints, the Edge audio for the Seahawks at the Vikings will not be available this week. Please check OneWeekSeason.com for the written version. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Buccaneers at the Rams kick off Sunday, September 26th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 55.5. Game Overview by Hilo. In Major League Baseball DFS, the percentage solution is great pitching beats great hitting and poor hitting beats poor pitching. In the NFL, we can think of this as great defense beats great offense and poor offense beats poor defense. That said, this game has a wide range of outcomes with two great offenses matching up with two great defenses. Even wider range of potential individual outcomes, considering a large portion of Tampa's fantasy prospectus hinges on how the Rams choose to deploy Jalen Ramsey, knowing Antonio Brown is likely to miss. The weakness of the Buccaneers' defense is over the intermediate to deep middle of the field, primarily from opposing slot receivers. All of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Tyler Higbee play heavy slot snaps in bunch formations. How Tampa Bay Will Try to Win Tampa's situation-neutral pass rate through two weeks sits at 72%, just 1% lower than the Jaguars for tops in the league. They have averaged 43.0 pass attempts per game to start the year. Their defense has allowed just 57.5 rush yards per game against, yet have allowed almost 400 yards of total offense against per game. It's fairly evident how Tampa would like to win games, which shouldn't come as a surprise after the second half of last season. The backfield work has been quote-unquote dominated by Leonard Fournette to start the season, but the snap rates tell a different story. Fournette has running back opportunities of 16 and 15 with snap rates of 65% and 49% to start the year, while Ronald Jones II holds opportunity counts of 4 and 9 on 9% early fumble and 41% of the offensive snaps, and Giovanni Bernard holds opportunity counts of 3 and 2, all targets, on 26% and 10% of the offensive snaps. The big picture, though, is this team prefers to attempt the win games with the ball in Tom Brady's hands. The lofty net-adjusted line yards metric of 4.9 is almost immaterial considering the 17.5 average rush attempts per game over the first two weeks. The proverbial money is made from this offense through the air, and things get a little more interesting considering the likely absence of wide receiver Antonio Brown. The biggest influence to the prospective fantasy goodness of Buccaneer pass catchers hinges around how the Rams choose to deploy Jalen Ramsey, who has previously been used as a shadow on Mike Evans, 4-40-0 in their last meeting. 
Looking at the target frequency of Los Angeles secondary tells us everything we need to know. Ramsey and David Long have been targeted a combined 15 times in primary coverage, while Darius Williams has been targeted a whopping 20 times in primary coverage. If we assume Antonio Brown misses and Jalen Ramsey shadows Mike Evans, it leaves a large expected target share to Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski, and to a lesser extent, a combination of Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. The problem is, we don't exactly know precisely how the Rams will deploy Ramsey, who has routinely traveled into the slot while in shadow coverage, due to the emergence of premier corner Darius Williams, who led the team in pass breakups and interceptions a year ago. I could make a clear case for Ramsey to stick to Godwin with Williams and safety help over the top of the higher dot Mike Evans, which would make this offense tilt towards Gronk and the tertiary receiving options. Again, we just don't know at this time how the Rams are preparing for this matchup, knowing that Antonio Brown is likely to miss. How Los Angeles will try to win The Rams have injuries of their own that could greatly affect how they attack this game. Borderline workhorse running back Daryl Henderson Jr. missed practice Wednesday with what is being called a rib cartilage injury. Rib cartilage injuries typically do not run the risk of further injury, but are extremely painful to play through, particularly for a running back who is being hit in the torso on almost every snap. Obviously with the ball in his hands, but also in pass protection and rubs. If he misses here, it would likely be Sony Michelle stepping into an almost every down role. Regardless, the matchup is very much a strength-on-strength matchup, yielding a net adjusted line yards metric of 4.185, primarily held down by Tampa's elite 3.27 mark. We're unlikely to see the Rams attack heavily on the ground, particularly if Sony Michelle is charged with a workhorse role. If we played this slate out 100 times, Michelle would hit a handful of times in this spot, but it is not a spot I recommend attacking heavily. I searched for varying angles to bet on with respect to the Rams running back situation, but continually came up empty. The largest detractor is the complexity of their run blocking scheme compared with the fact that Sony has only been with the team for three weeks. It is much more likely that Sean McVay turns to the air in this spot. Opposing perimeter corners Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis have allowed a combined 5.0 yards per attempt in coverage value the lowest in the league through two weeks amongst cornerback duos. Fill-in slot corner Ross Cockrell has allowed 10 of 12 targets to be completed in just over one game's worth of work for 103 yards and two touchdowns. To say he is the weak link in this vaunted defense is quite the understatement. While Cooper Cup is sure to garner the most ownership, it is well worth noting that both Tyler Higbee and Robert Woods play heavy slot snaps. The bunch formations and multiple slot alignments will make this more of a crapshoot than the field will likely think, based on expected ownership. Van Jefferson plays primarily a perimeter role with a high ADOT and is the pass catcher least likely to succeed in this spot. Likeliest Game Flow As previously mentioned above, there are really two likely scenarios with about the same chance of transpiring here. Both teams have the personnel and scheme on defense to be able to slow the other, and both offenses hold the pieces to be able to break through. It is far less likely that one team clearly takes control and maintains that position for the duration of the game. So the best way to attack this game is to build for two very clear game scripts, a slugfest or a back-and-forth high-scoring affair. A slugfest would indicate a failure by each team to sustain drives over the course of the game, making one-offs just okay considering the salary of the pieces and expected ownership. 
A shootout makes game stacks extremely appealing from what should be highly concentrated offenses, assuming Brown and Henderson each miss the contest. That said, I expect the majority of exposure to this game to primarily be one of the one-off variety and not full game stacks, something to keep in mind when building this week.